Listen to what else he says in verse 24. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Did you hear what he's saying there? It's more of Isaiah's sarcasm. You see his personality coming through the text here. But he's saying these, these most notable, these most powerful among you, they've only been here for a very short period of time and God only blows on them like you would blow on a dandelion. And they're gone. They wither. The most powerful among us. All he has to do is flick them. And they're, it's like they're not even there. It's like they never existed. They're, they're gone. They're scattered. When God destroys, he destroys completely. I learned an interesting fact a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that is still blows my mind, and I think it will yours as well. Do you know that there's no fossils in the pre-flood layer of the earth? There's not a single one. You know why? Because when he caused the flood, he turned the earth inside out and started ripping it and molding it and reforming it. And So when everything was said and done, once the waters had finally receded, you can't even find evidence of the existence of the things that perverted his world. That's judgment. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's looking at here. He says, even the most powerful among you, they're, they're nothing and all he has to do is blow on them and they're demolished. Like you would, like you blow on a dandelion, right? And, and you just watch the seeds scatter. He says, they haven't been here all that long. These most powerful people, even the greatest dynasties on the, on the planet that have ever ruled. He says, they haven't been here all that long. And all God has to do is blow on them and they scatter like, like dandelion seeds. Beginning to feel how important you are, <laughs> right? This is, this is his way uh, of, of humbling us. Trying to humble the nation of Israel. Verse 24 Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. And when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. He says, we've got comparisons for all the people you know about, for all the most powerful beings, for all the most powerful people you know of, your rulers and your princes and all these amazing people that, you're, that are so vaunted in your minds. He says, they're pretty easy to compare things to. He says, and they're not really anything all, all that much to me. And in, in relation to longevity and power, they have nothing. They're not even on the same playing field as Yahweh. And so he says, well, now that we've compared them to some things like, like dandelions, now that we've compared them to some things, let's, let's find something to compare me to. Let, let's get now that you have a right view, view of yourself, let's, let's get a right view of Yahweh. And so he says, who, who can we compare me to? What can we compare me to? Nothing. There's nothing out there that we can compare him to. There's nothing that even comes close in his goodness and his power and his majesty. There's all of his attributes. It's incomprehensible. You, you can't, there's not an analogy. There's not an illustration that would be able to compare it to one of his traits. 
He's trying to get them to see that. He says, lift up your eyes in verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? Who, he who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. You see what he's saying there? He says, you look up in the sky. He's doing something like he did in Job with Job's questions. You look up in the sky and you tell me how that stuff functions. What makes the clouds move around? And you know, each one of those is in the mind of God and he's holding it up there. He's making it function like he wants it to function. You look at the birds. What? We, we, uh, Kelly found some monarch butterflies in our garden this year. So cool, right? And then we started doing some research on them and found out that monarch bird butterflies are almost, uh, uh, I don't know if they're almost extinct or they're almost on the list to extinction. Um, but there's not very many of them, which makes sense because I seem feel like I hit one with my car every 10 days. But so we started, uh, she started bringing these things in, and I think she hatched three of them. Like we watched the, the uh, chrysalis form and um, that kind of thing, and it was really cool. And you'd get to watch them, watch them fly. But you know those things are headed to Mexico? The ones that we hatched in our, in our dining room, on our dining room table, those things are going to head to Mexico now. They're going to fly. Flap those tiny little wings all the way to Mexico, <clears throat> assuming they don't get hit by my van. They're going to make it all the way to Mexico, and then they're going to die. But before that, they're going to lay eggs, and those eggs are going to make their trek back up here. And it's just this big circle. He says, tell me how that works. Tell me how those butterflies know how to do that. Isn't that phenomenal? He, he's holding each one of these components in our world together by the might of his greatness He's holding it and making sure that everything functions just the way it should. His fingers, prints are all over everything in creation. Undeniable, undeniable. Verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? You, you see what he's saying there, right? God, I love Isaiah. He's saying, now you see what God is capable of. Now that you see that he's holding everything together, that his fingerprints are, are, are literally over everything, like, like my fingerprints would be on all over a bottle of water, his fingerprints, because he's touching everything at all times, holding it all together. His fingerprints are all over everything. He says, how can you, Israel, say, well, God must have forgotten about me? <laughs> Are you, are you kidding? This is not something that is unheard of in, in, throughout Scripture. In fact, if you flip over to Psalm 22, the psalmists are big fans of this idea that God has forgotten them. But they're not thinking theologically. They're trying to espouse how they feel. Psalms are all about feelings. This is emotion. This is what they want you to feel. They want you to identify with how they're feeling so that when you feel like that, you can kind of step in their shoes, in their psalm, and walk with them through that pain, through that joy, through that whatever emotion that is. But here in Psalm 22, the writer feels like he's been abandoned by God. Listen to what he says. My God, my God, why, are you, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I, but I find no rest. He feels like God has overlooked him, doesn't he? 
Interestingly enough, this is the exact psalm that Jesus co-ops on the cross, isn't it? You remember those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said it in Aramaic, Elo, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabatini, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's pointing to this verse because that's how he feels. I don't think it's, I don't think it's theologically true, but it is how he feels. And you've felt that same way before, I'm sure, in the midst of an incredible pain of your own. You felt that way, haven't you? You felt like God has abandoned you, and that's a fine way to feel as long as you don't move away from Him. Use these psalms to stick with Him, to stay in that track, right along with the psalmist. Isaiah is making fun of Israel because they feel like God has abandoned them, and so they've abandoned God. They've abandoned Yahweh, and they've started worshiping Something that they cut down and carved up. They think that God has overlooked them. Check out what happens in the rest of Psalm 22, though. In verse 3, he says, Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. You're beginning to see how this is just how he felt. He knows differently. He knows that God hasn't forsaken him, but he feels like he has. There's a tension there that is right. There's times in our life when we're in our deepest grief where we can feel where it's right to feel like God has forsaken us, but deep down intellectually we know he hasn't moved. He's still there because he's holding everything together by the might of his greatness. He's literally holding the fabric of our universe together, making the earth spin on a 23 and a half degree axis, making the stars stay in place, making the clouds move and our blood run through our veins. He's doing all of these things all the time. And those are just one evidence of his care for us. And so back to Isaiah 40, <clears throat> verse 27. How can Israel say, my way is hidden from the Lord? It's like God's playing peekaboo with you. Like, I can't see you. And he said, how can you, how can you say that God's blindfolded himself from your concerns? He knows what's going on. He sees you. Verse 28, Isaiah 40, uh, 41, or sorry, Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Again, he comes back to this idea. There's not an analogy. There's not an illustration that's pointed enough that you can compare him to anything. He is unknowable in some respects. He's the everlasting God, eternal. And when you start trying to wrap your mind around eternity, your mind just seems to, to fizzle, doesn't it? White noise pops in my ears. And you start trying to think about eternity where there won't be time. I don't know how to quantify that. Like, 
if you have a day, then you eat breakfast, and you, then you eat lunch, and then you eat dinner, and then there's hours in between there, you, you, can, you can kind of quantify that. But when you start to try to understand eternity, you don't, there's not going to be a passage of time, not even a single second of a passage of time. It's just existence, and that's, that's the way he's always been. And he says, you try to wrap your head around the everlasting God. You're not going to be able to do it. You're going to come up short. And he says, he's the creator of the ends of the earth. Everything that you see, he's spoken into being with words. And that makes your mind go numb too. But even beyond that, he's not like you. You ever get tired? Of course, right? He says, he doesn't faint. He doesn't grow weary. His understanding, you ever not understand something? He says his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. He's saying God is not overlooking you. He's looking over you. He's holding everything together. And in the midst of your pain, when you feel like God has betrayed you, you know Beyond the shadow of a doubt that he's right there in the middle of your pain with you because that's who he is. Because he's there, he's present, and he hurts with us. And I know that I don't always feel like that, but that's okay because our spiritual ancestors didn't always feel like that, did they? The psalmist didn't always feel like that. And so we know that that's the case, and so I can feel like that, but I also have to understand, the, I have to have the head knowledge, the theology behind the feeling so that I know that he's not overlooking me. He's looking over me. He's there with me in the midst of my pain, holding me together with the might of his greatness. <clears throat> Verse 30, he says, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Titus started running cross country this year and has really loved it. We started, uh, we wanted to start doing uh, running with him because we thought, man, he can just go forever. He has endless amounts of energy, right? And so running is the perfect sport for him. We found out that after a couple miles, he gets tired. Ah, glory. This is awesome. What a revelation. Even youths get tired, he says. Even people that seems like they have endless amounts of energy, he says, even they get, even they get tired. But listen to what he says. This is, this is cool and, and a good uh, thought for us to, to hang our hats on this week. In verse 31, he says, but they, who wait on the, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know what he's saying about us. He's not saying that you're not going to get tired. He's not saying that you're not going to get tired. He's saying that he's the strength behind your tired to give you endurance as you push through what he's calling you to do. That's Philippians 4.13, isn't it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A lot of times we misuse that verse, misappropriate it. We put it on the back of a jersey or put it on, on a, a banner on a field or something and, and say, well, I can, I can catch a ball or I can hit a ball or I can kick a ball or whatever because God has giving me the strength to do that. That's not what he's saying. That's not Philippians 4.13. This, this is Philippians 4.13 in action here. He's given you the strength, though you're tired, though you're beaten, though you can't take any more. He's given you the strength and the endurance to push through one more day. And then one more day. And then one more day. 
on into eternity. That's the power of God. That as he holds everything together, he's also holding you together. And that the creator, God, Yahweh himself, is giving you the strength. Though you're tired, he's giving you the strength to keep on going. Peg's got this um, plaque in her in, in the office now. Uh, and had it there for years. It said, most things are done by tired people. I think that's true, right? Most good things are done by tired people. But he gives us, his people, the strength to push on, to endure through that. I love that thought. One more lesson. He's not overlooking you. He's looking over you. Job 39. This is another instance where he talks about eagles. Job chapter 39 Verses 27-29 Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the rock he dwells and makes his home, on the rocky crag and stronghold. From there he spies out the prey, his eyes behold it from, a far, from far away. His young ones suck up blood and where, uh, and where the slain are there is he. So one of the things we can learn from an eagle is they have, they have incredible vision, right? If you've ever seen them uh, hunting, we saw one a couple uh, months ago uh, out by the river. And we were at, Hun- we were at the Huntington Park uh, there by the river. And we see this, this massive bird come flying in. And all of a sudden we realize, that's a bald eagle. And so he's, he flies in and he dips into the water and grabs something and goes on. He saw that thing from way back there and kind of started angling his body so that it could get his prey. These things have some incredible vision, but we need to have some incredible vision too. And I'm not talking about seeing, physically seeing things. I'm talking about spiritually seeing things. You need a vision for your life. Flip over to <clears throat> Proverbs 29. Proverbs chapter 29. Verse 18, Proverbs 29, 18, he says, For where, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. The word there, cast off restraint, some, like the old King James, uh, I think says uh, uh, death, the, the one who, who doesn't have, where there's no prophetic vision, the people die. Uh, and, and that could be the, a legitimate translation. Cast off restraint may be a legitimate translation as well uh, here in the ESV. It means loosen. Um, this, this word means loosen or to, to cast off, um, to, 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 um, to do away with. Uh, and so what's he trying to say there? I think, I think the idea is uselessness. If you don't have vision, then you're, you're useless. We need a vision. We need a big God-sized vision for our life. Like we talked about this morning, where are you going to be in two years? Where are you going to be in five years, spiritually speaking? Have yourself a vision if you want to for your career, for your family, for all those things. That's fine. I'm not saying those things aren't good things. Those are good things. Plan. Be that type of person. Go for it. But we need a spiritual vision. Where are you going to be in two years? Where are you going to be next year? Start small, right? but grab a hold of a God-sized vision for your life. What is your eye beholding from afar? That, that's, that's the question that 
I kind of want you to struggle with this week, I guess, is what are you longing for? What are you shooting at? What do you, what's your vision for your life? Where are you going to be in five years? Wrestle with that throughout the rest of this year. I'm going to do the same thing. Maybe we can come up with a vision for ourselves, for our congregation, that is God-sized. That's bigger than any of us can accomplish on our own. That it demands Him show up in such a fabulous and big way that we can only attribute it to Him. Here's a couple of questions uh, that you should be struggling with this week. and uh, Maybe they'll haunt you, I guess, this week. 20 years from now, when your friends and relatives are gathered around a Thanksgiving table, maybe you guys do this at Thanksgiving too. When we get our families together, we talk about the people that have passed on and you remember the ones that have 20 years ago that have gone. Um, and we talk about them, right? And we relive some of those memories. It helps, seems to help with some of the, the grieving process, I guess, um, just to say their names and to remember some of those, those things. What do you want to be remembered for 20 years from now when your descendants and your friends are talking about you at the Thanksgiving table and they say, that person, they, they were always doing, what do you want that blank to be for you? They were always doing, what's that for you? Capture that God-sized vision. You see it? Like we said this morning, what you work hard at, what you sacrifice for, is what you love. Capture that vision. What do you want to be remembered for? Second question, what are you doing right now to be remembered in that way 20 years from now? Do you have a vision? What do you want to, what do you want to be remembered for? And what are you doing right now so that that can be True, then we got to have a vision for if the people don't have a vision, we perish, we die. We got to have a vision. It's something we can learn from the eagle. We got to be looking at stuff from far away. Maybe you're struggling tonight. Maybe you're caught up in something that you're ready to lay down. Maybe there's a sin or, or a weight that's been weighing you down and you're ready to, to let it go. You're ready to confess it and ask for forgiveness for that. I hope that's the case tonight. If you've already been baptized, why not do that? Lay that burden down and stop carrying that thing around because it just weighs you down. Maybe you haven't been baptized and you need to make that um, choice tonight. Whatever your need, won't you come as we stand and sing? God is calling the prodigal, come without delay. Hear, oh, hear him calling, calling now for thee. Though you've wandered so far from his presence, come today. Hear his loving voice calling still.
Let's go before we're dismissed. October 18th, the Young at Heart will meet here at the building uh, for the Young Heart event, and they will be going to Bob Evans afterwards. Uh, remember the Trunk or Treat, October 27th from 7 to 8. October 23rd, the Father and Son's Day at the Leap's Cabin at 1 o'clock. Uh, October 30th, we're going to the Pumpkin House at 5.30. And Life Group 3, that's Jeremy and Dickie's Life Group, will meet at uh, Sunday, October 30th at 5.30 at Joe's Pond. And reminder to dress appropriately for an outside gathering and bring a chair. Remember on our prayer list this week, Amber Spitzer, Jennifer Baker, and Terry Leap. Is there any other announcements that need to be made? Uh, if not, the Lord's Sup Supper is still prepared for you in the conference room to my left, your right. Uh, we will have a closing song, closing word of prayer, and you can go partake of that. Last song this evening is I'm Standing on the Solid Rock. Through my disappointment, strife, and discontentment, I cast my every care on the Lord. No matter what obsession, pain, or deep depression, I'm standing on the solid rock. I'm standing on the rock of ages, safe from all the storm that rages. I'm rich, but not from Satan's wages. I'm standing on the solid rock. Even though he's gone now, I don't feel alone now. It overcame the spirit. Now with his word to guide me from temptations hide me, I'm standing on the solid rock. I'm standing on the rock of ages, safe from all the storm that rages. I'm rich, but not from Satan's wages. On the solid rock. Now I'm pressing onward, each step leads me homeward. I'm trusting in my Savior day by day. And close is our relation, firm is its foundation. So on the solid rock I'll stay. I'm standing. 
rock of ages safe from all the storm that rages I'm rage but not from Satan's wages I'm standing on the solid rock would you pray with me please Heavenly Fathers, we come to you once again today, Father. We're truly thankful for another beautiful day of life. Father, we're thankful for the changes in the seasons and all the beautiful trees that you've painted, Father, and all the things that you bless us with in this life. Father, we pray you'll continue to be with the church here at Rome and all the good stuff that's going on. Pray that you'll continue to be with the deacons and elders and the good work that they do. Let them know that their work is not in vain pray you'll continue to be with all the Bible teachers, Father, teaches our kids and the preschool, Father, that you'll continue to bless every effort that's being put forth and let them know that their work is not in vain. Father, we pray for all those that are on the sick list. You know each and every one of them, whether it be cancer, heart problems, or whatever, Father, that you will be with them and be with the doctors. If it be thy will, that you'll help them to get better. I pray especially for my aunt, Father, in the com this coming week. She's in UK hospital, Father. She's facing a surgery to be life and death. That you'll bring her through that safe, Father, and be with the family at this difficult time. Father, we pray you'll continue to be with all the shut-ins here at Rome and all our older members in Christ, Father, that you will continue to bless them in their old age, Father. Help them in their health problems, Father, and help us to help them in any way that we can. Most of all, Father, we pray for our shortcomings that you help us to be the better person, help us to be the standard, to make this world a better place to be, and forgive us of our sins. In Christ's name I pray, amen. <clears throat> 